Welcome to our new podcast series where we share with you about newborn issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. I'm Sarah Chair on Bond Supermart, an online platform that provides you with information on bonds, transparent prices, tools, and research at your fingertips. The growth of concrete jungles in China is no myth. Skylines and landscapes across cities of varying tiers have changed over the past decades thanks to the increase of demand and supply of real estate furnished by Chinese real estate developers. Today, I have with me Jackson Chan, fixed income analyst from the Bond Supermart team at IFAST Hong Kong. Jackson is the resident expert in Chinese real estate developers at IFAST and recently published an update on this sector weighing the impact from the pandemic. Jackson, could you give us an overview of the industry? Okay. Actually, the Chinese property sector is a high turnover, high leverage industry. We can see the industry average leverage level is generally higher than other major sectors, meaning that the property developers would take on a huge amount of debt to stimulate the fastest growth and expand their size as much as possible. When it comes to borrowing, the typical financing channels used by the developers include bank loans, trust, fi- trust financing, onshore and offshore bond issuance, which includes asset-backed securities. So for the bond market, as of June this year, the total outstanding value of these real estate-related offshore USD bonds is at about 220 billion USD level. It accounts for more than 20% of the total offshore Chinese USD bonds and easily the largest single sector in terms of total issuance amounts. That's a very large proportion of the Asian bond market. Could you tell us why are these bonds so popular? You are right. Typically, Chinese real estate bonds are one of the most popular sectors that bond investors would like to put their money into. One reason is that, as I said before, with the huge size of bond issuance, we can find different bonds across almost every credit rating. There are a wide range of options, yielding from 2% to over 15%, which could be suitable for almost every investor who has different risk appetite and investment horizons. Another major reason is that the yields on these real estate bonds are usually better than the other sectors. At the same time, we do not see a particularly high default rate. So far, only one real estate issuer has defaulted on its offshore bonds in entire history, showing that the sector itself is quite stable. And currently, Chinese real estate high-yield names are cro- accounted for almost half the weighting in the major Asian high-yield index used in the market. With more than 100 issuers in, the, in this sector, we do believe there are a lot of opportunities. And we want to see whether these issuers will be affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as to see if the bonds right now are attractive to potential investors. Mm, from what I hear, there seem to be fears of a growing property bubble in China. And you know that these reports of apartment buildings that have been built in anticipation of demand, but you know, somehow just abandoned and left empty for years because of the lack thereof. So what is your take on this? Yes, we do agree that some cities have a problem of oversupplying. And our point is that we actually favor more about the developers which have their land banks more concentrated in first and second tier cities. We do notice that the inventory turnover period of housing units in third tier cities has increased in recent years. The demand overdraw in these cities will lead to a huge inventory pressure. 
and first a less resilient housing price compared to large cities. And in reality, since the growth rate of the property market is not as high as, say, 10 years ago, so we think first and second tier cities will have a more stable outlook. And the recent statistic issued by the authority has showed that the large cities generally have a stronger price resilience, such as the first tier cities include, including Shenzhen, Shanghai, Beijing, and Guangdong. And we even see that Shenzhen government started to impose some very strict measures to curb the overheated market. Actually, it has been a long time that the policy direction could be summarized by slogans such as stabilizing land price, uh, housing price and expectations. In last year, we saw the government has interfered the market a lot. And we did state in the beginning of the year that we do not expect the government will loosen their control over the market in 2020. However, uh, it did slowed it down a little bit in the first half of this year due to the coronavirus outbreak. But currently, we saw some significant rebound in all dimensions in the property sector. We think the local government will get back on track and start to actively interfere the local housing market by imposing a series of regulations. While the policy control and rebound sound positive for the developers, China was also very poorly hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. So with that considered, do you have a positive outlook on the sector? Okay, in terms of uh, bond investment, uh, we do hold a strong positive feel towards the sector. Although the control over the transactions may slow down the growth of some developers, which may affect their earnings and margins, but still we think that the fundamentals of the Chinese real estate market are healthy and the housing price will remain stable under the regulating policies. To understand why we think the fundamentals are decent, we can look into some latest monthly figures from different angles. First, according to the figures from the National Bureau of Statistics, the sales price of new residential buildings in 70 large and medium-sized cities in June have increased month on month for four consecutive months already, reflecting the housing price remained strong during the pandemic. Second, since the pandemic has recently been under control in China, the sales and project construction have rebounded quickly. The top 100 developers recorded a total contractor sales growth of 26% year-on-year in July, which has sharply rebounded for five consecutive months. By this trend, we believe the overall sales of these developers can be back to a positive growth in 2020. Meanwhile, we also see the area of new construction has recovered significantly. This data demonstrated that the overall housing market is still hot and supported by strong demand. The figures sound rather impressive, but does it imply that uh, the issuers will be able to handle their debt repayments? Because we know that within the Chinese property sector, investors have always been very concerned about the issuer's ability to refinance. So given the low interest rate environment right now, are there more developers making the most of it to issue debt at cost-efficient levels? Yes. Since the COVID-19 outbreak, there was once a large fluctuation in the global bond market, which existing bonds faced an intense sell-off in March and April. At the same time, issuing new bonds with lower costs became more difficult. And therefore, in the first four months of 2020, the issuance amount of Chinese offshore USD bonds fell sharply. Uh, however, uh, many developers have found an alternative, which is to issue onshore bonds instead. As the government injected a huge amount of liquidity into the market, more domestic capital is now av- available in the real estate sector. 
With the surge in onshore bonds issuance, the short-term liquidity pressure is much alleviated and some developers have already completed their refinancing goals for this year. After that, in the last three months, when the market returned to more stable, we saw that the monthly issuance of new Asian USD bonds has quickly picked up. In June, it only took half a month to surpass the total issuance amount of May, and we saw that the number remains consistent in July. We noticed that there are several new bonds up onto the market almost every day, and many of them are Chinese real estate developers. They have started to issue new bonds again after the market was stabilized, and they would like to grab the advantage during this extra low interest rate environment. These recent bond issuance have demonstrated how market has already restored the faith, and the overall liquidity in the sector is good. Whenever there's news about Chinese real estate developers, though, there are always mentions of deleveraging. Could you tell us a bit more about what this is and how it works? No problem.、Uh, actually, deleveraging, which means reducing the debt level, has become the mainstream consensus of the industry since last year. We observed that more and more developers tended to invest in de- developing existing land reserves rather than financing excessively for aggressive land purchase. We believe that this will essentially improve the cash flows of the developers and allow them to execute deleveraging more efficiently. And we think this is definitely beneficial to bond investor, considering the industry is highly leveraged. So, how can we evaluate the deleveraging performance of developers? The simplest way is to look at the credit rating directly.、Uh, but beside credit ratings,、uh, we have some golden ratios、uh, in. The sector that we can evaluate the overall credit profile of the developers. One of the most commonly used ratio is the net gearing ratio. So this、uh, net gearing ratio measures the financial leverage to show the mid to long term solvency of the issuers. The higher the net gearing ratio, the more the substantial proportion of debt versus equity, which is not a good signal to bondholders. I see. So what is the impact of deleveraging so far? And you know, how long more do you think the real estate developers will be in this phase for? Okay, in last few years, the average net gearing ratio of the top 100 developers was hovering above 100 percent, which is significantly higher than other sectors. However, we saw this number has improved significantly as at end December 2019. The adjusted average has improved hugely from 109 percent to 95 percent. It shows that the developers are really determined to shrink their debt size and try to strike a balance between land acquisition and managing cash flows. It will definitely strengthen the faith of the bond investor. Right now, we do think the issuers will continue to deleverage under the tightening regulation controls in coming few years. So, to maintain a good balance between cash flows and business expansion becomes an extremely important assignment for these property developers. Given this deleveraging environment, would you say this is a good time for bond investors to buy into bonds from these issuers, or what bonds would you specifically look at? Sure. Actually, we have an observation. Although the average leverage has improved, we observed an increase in the median. On the other hand, meaning that. The deleveraging results of highly leveraged issuers are more encouraging than the others. Given this observation, we think current investors could also consider the bonds issued by single B-grade issuers, which usually have higher leverage levels. 
from the yield spread perspective, both single B and double B rated bonds are now sitting at a more attractive area compared to pre-COVID level. But comparatively, we can see that the price recovery for double B graded bonds is much better than that of single B graded bonds. We did mention earlier that double B graded issuers' repayment risks under the pandemic are more manageable, and their bond price therefore can rebound quickly. However, with the significant improvement in the credit status for highly leveraged issuers, we believe investors would be able to capture the investment opportunity in single B graded bonds by carefully selecting suitable issuers. Strategy-wise, we like first-tier developers, which means the top 20 largest developers. They are likely to obtain the bank loan in priority, as well as other financing tools such as bond issuance and investment trust. In this context, we prefer these large developers due to their competitive advantages in size and branding. But other than this, we will also highlight some opportunities in second and third tier issuers who are growing rapidly or having a heavy credit profile. Because high yield issuers' leverage levels are generally higher, they are more vulnerable to market volatility and policy uncertainty, which in turn will affect their credit status. So we think the short-term high-yield bonds are worth investing more. But just to understand these tierings better, could you share with us the guidelines in determining which developers fall into Tier 1, 2, and 3? Of course. Uh, for Tier 1 developers, we generally relate to the top 20 developers in terms of contracted sales each year. Some examples including Evergrande, Country Garden, and Fankey. For Tier 2, it is 20 to 50. We got Ronshai, Logan, Agile, and etc. And the remaining is tier 3. While the investment opportunity looks attractive, have you come across any developers in your coverage that are struggling right now or have defaulted yet? If so, what do you think of the implication of it will be like for the other issuers? Okay, uh, traditionally the default rate of real estate developers in China is lower than the other general sectors. But still, there are some default cases every year. But we have to bear in mind that there are about 30,000 developers in the country, and most of the overseas bonds issuers are the top ones, say the top 100 to 200. If we talk about those uh, large developers, then the latest news you may have heard about is Tahoe Group. The group has defaulted its onshore renminbi bond in July. Its uh, offshore USD bonds are still in normal status. But still, it marks the first ever default case among first-tier Chinese developers in the history. However, uh, actually Tahoe's USD bonds have been yielding over 20% since the end of 2018, showing that the market has been expecting Tahoe's liquidity risk for a long time. But we saw that its USD bonds was pricing at $80 level until the end of 2019, meaning that investors could have a lot of time to react or sell the bonds at a decent price. This case is actually sending a good signal to bondholders, which is given that the huge size of land banks owned by these developers, those tangible assets can be a reliable source to obtain funding from creditors. And that's the reason why Tahoe can still last for more than a year since its credit warning until its first default. In addition, currently we do not see any large size developers are stuck in this kind of a similar situation as Tahoe. And that's why we think this case is not comparable to other developers. So investors should not be worried about it and we do not think it will affect the valuation of other real estate bonds. 
Great. That was very insightful. Thanks for joining us today, Jackson. Thank you. This was brought to you by Bond Supermart. I'm Sarah Chia, and our guest analyst with us today is Jackson Chan from the Bond Supermart team at IFAS Hong Kong. Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook, and Telegram to get first-hand updates on new bond issues, credit updates, and special events. For bond information and articles, visit our website, bondsupermart.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you.